Well, good morning, everybody, and good morning to all of you who are tuning in online this morning from wherever you're at, whether it's somewhere across Canada, across North America, or even at home. Just want to extend a warm welcome to you as well. And for anybody who, who might not know me, if there are any visitors or anybody watching online who don't recognize me, my name is David Drover, and I'm an intern here at Milo Mission and Calvary Baptist Church. And well, one of the great privileges of serving at this ministry is the opportunity to preach. So I'm just so thankful to be here um, in front of you now to preach God's word and open it up. And as Paul said, we're going to continue on in 1 John. Um, I've been preaching through 1 John, and today we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 28, to chapter 3, verse 10. But before we read the passage, I want to ask you something. How has 2020 been for you? How has 2020 been for you? I guess for that, most of us, it, it hasn't been the greatest year between, you know, COVID, between the start at Snowmageddon and, you know, all the politics, the, the injustice, the rioting, all the stuff that we're hearing all over the news. It's, it's been a tough year. You know, some have lost jobs, others have gotten sick, and still others have lost loved ones. But then there's also been some high points. I mean, some people have gotten married, some have had kids, others have graduated, and for some business it's really skyrocketed, but I mean, the point is that I'm sure everybody here would have a lot to say about this past year, a lot to share, and have a lot of opinions about it. And for myself, well, I've had a lot of ups and downs in 2020. Leanne and I, we've been able to celebrate our first wedding anniversary. We've been able to spend so much time together, and well, not only just together, but also with other family and friends. And not only that, I've seen God just do so many incredible things in my life through the ministry of this church, at my own mission, and especially even out in Kilbride. It's just been incredible. But then there's also been the struggle of, well, feeling isolated. And the feeling of uneasiness that, that we're not in control. And, you know, that any moment our lives could just go back in to lockdown. And we've had family members who have gotten COVID across the country. And in some ways, it's, it's been pretty easy to feel hopeless. Will we ever get a vaccine? Will, will things ever get back to normal? Will this ever end? And especially with all the snow that we had last week, you know, how are we going to deal in 2021 if we're still dealing with COVID and yet have another bad winter? Well, friends, the reason I'm, I'm bringing all this up is not to be doom and gloom. In fact, it's actually the opposite. See, I think especially in times like this, it's so easy for us to take our eyes off of Jesus whether it's because of external circumstances or the distractions that the world has to offer. But John is writing to these Christians in this part of the letter to tell them that they need to focus on Jesus, to abide in him, to set their focus on him because he is all that they need. And in our text today, he, he reminds us of what it is that we have in Jesus and he reminds us what it means to be a child of God. And if I can give you a preview to be a child of God, it means to be loved. It means to have an unshakable hope. It means that you're being transformed, and ultimately, it means that you are part of God's family. So especially in times like this, in, in a year like 2020, where it's so easy for us to lose focus, we need to look to Christ. My hope for you today is that, that you'll abide in him, that you'll see the love that God has for you, and that he's given you to make you his child, and that you'll take these truths, that you'll apply them 
to your circumstances, to whatever those are, to your day-to-day lives, and that you'll follow Jesus. So if you're taking notes, write this down, because this is basically the main idea through the text. It's the sermon in a sentence. Because God's children have been loved, they imitate Jesus. Because God's children have been loved, they imitate Jesus. So without further ado, let's, let's open up our passage today. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open to 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 to chapter 3, verse 10. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love that the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, that we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him is it, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So right away in verses 28 and 29, right from the get-go, John says, abide, or in other words, remain in Jesus. He wants us to keep our eyes focused on him. He wants us to listen to him, to learn about him, to obey him, and to follow him so that the purpose, so that when he comes back, we can have confidence. And what John is talking about here is when Jesus, he will one day come back and defeat evil once and for all. And when he comes, some will be able to come before him with confidence while others, well, they're going to shrink in shame and, and be judged. And this, it's better understood when we look at the next verse as well. As John says that practicing righteousness is evidence that someone is born of God because God himself is righteous. And I'll say that one more time. Practicing righteousness is evidence that someone is born of God because God himself is righteous. And, well, I mean, we see these, this kind of relationship here in our own family relationships. I mean, I don't have kids myself, but I am a child. And there are many ways that I take after or imitate my own mom and dad, and for those of you who have kids, I'm sure there are lots of ways that your kids imitate you as well. And not that our earthly parents are perfect, or the perfect example of our Heavenly Father, but the point is, is that we all take after our parents in some way or another. And well, for me, one way that I take after my dad is for, it's for building or fixing things. 
my dad, he's, he's a very handy guy, and growing up, he would always, you know, fix things around the house or have a different thing to build, whether that's, you know, he might fix a plumbing issue or build a deck or whatever it is. And we have a cabin out around the bay, and he would often have kind of a project over the summer that, that he would work on. But as my dad worked on whatever it was, he would always seek to understand it. If he was building a deck, he'd, he'd want to know how the wood was going to fit together, how it was going to build the deck before he started working. And, well, I'm not exactly like my dad, because I'm not super handy. You can ask Leanne, I'm not that handy. But I do like putting furniture together, and over the past year, I've gotten to do a fair bit of that, because, well, we've got these new church offices, and there are bookshelves and desks and all those kinds of things. And um, since I was probably the only one in the office who enjoyed that, I, I ended up doing a lot of it. But I noticed that as I was putting it together, that I took after my dad, that I'm kind of like him because I like the first thing I want to do is take out all the pieces, you know, see what each of the pieces do, look at the instructions and figure out how it all fits together. So likewise, in, in verse 29, John is saying that if we are truly God's children and God is truly righteous, then, then we're going to practice righteousness because we're going to take after our father because we're going to imitate him and hold on to that because we're going to talk more about what it means ex- like exactly to practice righteousness a little later, but I don't want you to miss the connection here. That as God's children, as people who know God, who abide in him, that we will be able to come before Jesus when he comes again in confidence. And again, thinking about our, our family relationships, when we go before our family members, whether it's an older brother or a mom or your dad, we don't often enter into their presence with shame and wondering whether or not they're going to accept us or not. We enter into their presence confident, unashamed, because well, we're a part of the family. And have you ever seen those videos where there's a dad who's deployed overseas, but he gets back early, and he decides to, to surprise his kid at school? And it's such a beautiful moment when the, the child is surprised and sees their dad for the first time in, in years, and they just run to him. And at that moment, I don't think the child has to think, does dad still love me? Does dad accept me? When they see their dad, they, they don't shrink in shame. They just run. They confidently run to their father because he's back. Because that's their dad. As children, we are a part of God's family. So when Jesus... When our older brother and our Savior, he comes back, we can run to him with confidence and know that we are accepted and loved. See the love that God has given us that we would be called his children. And the love that the Father has given us, it's come through Jesus. Many of you have heard these verses in John's gospel. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 1, 9 to 13, it says, The true light, a.k.a. Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, or to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God loved us by sending his son, and through believing in him, we become children 
of God in Calvary. That's who we are. That is our identity. See, a beautiful aspect of the gospel, it's, it, does, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done to come to Jesus and believe. As Christians, our identity, it's not found in having a prestigious job. It's not found in our money. It's not found in our sin. It's not found in our parenting skills or education or health or circumstances. As Christians, our identity is found in being a son or daughter of the king. Our status as a child of God, that's who we are. And don't believe it because I'm saying it. Believe it because God in his word says it. The song that we often sing, it, it gets it right. Who you say I am. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Who the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there is a place for me. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Calvary, that's who we are. John assures these churches that, that they're God's children in the present. And guys, that means that we're going to be different from the world, that the world, world won't always understand us because it never really understood Jesus. But notice, too, that John just doesn't stop here in the present. He points us to the future. He points us to the future hope that we have in Christ. Look at verse 2. When John says that when Jesus comes back, that we will become like him because we shall see him as he is. The promise is that one day we will be like Jesus. And what exactly that looks like, we we don't know for sure. But what we can know is that God is conforming us in the image of his son, according to Romans 8, 29. And we can know that our bodies are going to be transformed, as Paul says in Philippians 3, 20 to 21. When he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And how that's all going to happen is through the power of Jesus. Notice that word because in verse 2. It says, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And just take a second to think about that. That by seeing Jesus as God's children, that we will be made like him just by looking at him, by merely seeing him face to face, that we will be like him. How powerful and glorious will Jesus be that by merely looking at him, that we will be completely transformed? The best illustration that, that I've read for this, it's, it's that of a mirror. See, a mirror, it reflects an image, and when we look into a mirror, it reflects our image. But on the day when Jesus comes back, we will kind of be like a mirror to him as we reflect his glory. We will be transformed as, into his image, and we will reflect him. Not that we will be him. We won't be all-knowing. We won't be, you know, all-powerful or ruler of all or anything like that, but we will be transformed in his image to reflect his glory. And at one point when I, when I was studying this passage, I, I just stopped and I wrote down on the side 
of, of the text, and I, I said, what is it going to be like to see Jesus as he is? What will it be like to, to one day see our God, our Savior, our King, and our friend, our older brother, face to face, as sure as I'm looking to you now? To see Jesus, the one who is all-powerful, who is pure, who is righteous, who is sinless, and yet gentle and also lowly. What will it be like to, to be in his presence? And well, if this, if this passage has any answer for us, it's that it will be life-altering, that it will be transforming, that it will be wonderful and it's worth putting our hope in. And friends, it's, it's okay if it's not something that you fully Understand, I don't think that's what John's intentions were to get us to fully comprehend this. But the point that he's trying to get at, he wants to give us hope by reminding us about the future that we have to help us to look forward to the promises that we have and what it means to be a child of God and to get us to wonder in awe and worship of Jesus. And if I can give you the the fancy theological word that I often like to give um, about what John is talking about here, it's our glorification, our glorification, meaning that we will reflect the glory of God. And that's, what, that's the word that Paul uses in Romans eight thirty when he says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So in a year that's, that's so easy to take our eyes off of Christ. In a year where it's so easy to wonder, is, is there any hope? I want to encourage you and say that there is hope, that there is hope that is found in Jesus because of how God has loved us, because of how he has made us his children. We can have hope. And friends, when we live our lives abiding in Christ, gazing at Jesus with hope in him, that changes everything. That will change how we live in the ups and downs of life even in years like 2020, because no matter how good, no matter how bad your circumstances are, nothing can separate you from God. And how would our lives change if we reminded ourselves every day of the hope that we have in Jesus? If we reminded ourselves daily of the fact that this life is temporary, that one day that we will see him face to face, that one day we will get to be with him. I'd be willing to bet that that we would love better, that we would be more joy-filled, that we would be more patient, that we would be more at peace. So friends, abide in Christ and preach to yourselves the hope that you have in him, the hope that he is transforming you into his image and that one day that you will be like him. In verse 3, we see that as we continue that John, he moves from theology to practice. He says that those who thus hope in Jesus purify themselves as he is pure. And as Cruz states, the hope of being like Christ in the future expresses itself in an effort to purify oneself to be like him in the present. See, people who hope in Jesus, they purify themselves 
as he is pure, meaning that they, they fight against their sin and that they practice righteousness. The more that we understand God's great character, the more that we'll try and imitate it. As he is righteous, we seek to practice righteousness. As he is pure, we purify ourselves. As he loves, we ought to love one another. And this leads us into, into the last section of the text in verses 4 to 10, where John really drives home the central point that because God's children have been loved, they imitate Jesus. And he drives that home by telling us two things. Number one, that God's children practice righteousness. And then number two, the, children, the devil's children practice sinning. That God's children practice righteousness and the devil's children practice sinning. And as we've seen throughout the letter, I mean, John himself, he's, he's very black and white with his language. Previously, he's used the language of, you know, love and, love and hate, light and dark, and now child of God or child of the devil. God's children, they practice righteousness while the devil's children practice sinning. Those are the two groups. That's it. And if you remember the illustration that I used earlier talking about fa- our family relationships, that, that also applies here. As children, we take after our parents. We imitate them. As John says in, in verse 8, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then in verse 29, he says that God is righteous. So it makes sense then that the devil's children would then practice sinning after their father, and God's children would practice righteousness after their father. But what does John mean by that? What does he mean by practice righteousness and practice sinning? And let me just say right away that what John is not saying is that if you sin at all, then that's evidence that you're not a child of God. That's not the point. His point is not that if I leave church here today, and as I'm driving home, if somebody cuts me off and I get sinfully mad at them, then that's evidence that I'm not a Christian. That's not the point. It wouldn't make sense for him to mean that because earlier in the letter, in chapter 2, verse 1, he assumes that people in the church, that they're going to sin. So in order to figure out this, what he means here, let's turn to John's gospel in chapter 8 verses 34 to 36, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, in John's view, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. They're slaves to it, which means that they do it, that they obey it. And sin here, it's that anything that is in opposition to God. And as they're slaves to it, they're powerless to stop sinning by themselves. And one of my favorite movies, if you know me very well, is Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings. And I would guess that that many of you have probably seen the movies or, or read the books. And even if you haven't, then maybe you've heard of the character Gollum. See, in the movies, there was this, this ring of power and Gollum, he found the ring. And well, once he found it, he then lived for it. He put every ounce of his being and energy into trying to keep the ring for himself, to try to listen to the ring, to worship and serve the ring. And he couldn't stop even if he wanted to. The ring, it it had a power over him. He was the ring's slave. He couldn't disobey his master. And not only that, he didn't want to disobey his master. He loves the ring. It's, It's his precious. But clearly as you watch the movie, well, the ring, it hasn't been too kind to Gollum because... It's turned him from the normal old hobbit that he was to whatever it is that he is as Gollum. 
See, without Christ, everybody is a slave to sin. And sin is primarily a heart issue. The outward acts of sin, they're just merely symptoms of the condition. And, and John says that this kind of practice of sinning is evidence that they're children of the devil because it shows the condition of their heart. That means that they're not on God's side, that they're not children of God, that when Jesus comes back, that they will be the ones who shrink in shame and see judgment. So to be clear, the, the framework here that John is working with when he speaks of practicing sin is that these people continually practice sin and lawlessness because they're slaves to it. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is that their practice of sin is evidence of their status as a child of the devil, for they imitate their father. These people continually practice sin and lawlessness because they are slaves to it, and their practice of sin is evidence of their status as a child of God or child of the devil as they imitate their father. And then on the flip side, what we have to practice righteousness, and that is to follow God, to be set free from the slavery of sin. Look at verse 36 of John chapter 8, when it says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There is a way to be set free from the slavery of sin. There is a way for us to get better, and that's only through the Son. That's only through Jesus. The only difference between being a child of God or not is Jesus. It's not how often you've sinned. It's not how bad you've sinned. It's not how good you've been. The difference is grace. It's only through being born again, through believing in Jesus, that we can be set free from the slavery of sin. And so through Jesus, we are set free from the slavery of sin, and we become children of God who is righteous. And we can now begin to follow and live like our Father and by practicing righteousness just as He is righteous. And that's why practicing righteousness is evidence that we are part of God's family. Paul gets this in Romans 6, verses 17 to 18, when he says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. As God's children, we, we imitate or we are becoming like Jesus. John has pointed us to the future hope that we have to be like him, but for now the process, it's already started. We are his children now. We are his children today. We're running the race. We might struggle as we run. We won't be perfect. We definitely won't run a perfect race. But God will get us to the finish line. And what a great finish line that is, that we will be with and be like Jesus. So the framework that John is using as he speaks of those who practice righteousness is this. It's number one, that they have been set free from the slavery of sin and are now slaves to righteousness. And then number two, the practice of righteousness is evidence of their status as a child of God. So with that in mind, let's, let's dig deeper into these last six verses and see how John draws all this out. And notice that his point that children of God don't practice sinning but practice righteousness, it hinges all on Jesus. 
He says that Jesus came to take away sin in verse 5, and that in him there is no sin. So logically, John continues and says that for those who abide in Christ, for those who are united to him, that they must also not continue sinning as they once did. For Jesus has set them free from that slavery, but for the one who does practice sinning, they must not have known or seen him, for they are still enslaved by their sin. And don't miss the beauty of the next verse, of verse 7. As John tells us that whoever practices righteousness is righteous as Jesus is. See, to be a Christian, to be a child of God today, it means that you are righteous in the eyes of God through the righteousness of Jesus. This is how we can become God's children because Jesus, through his perfect and sinless life, he died for us in our place. See, because Jesus paid the price of death for us, he can receive our sin. And because he lived a perfect life, we can receive his righteousness. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of this, when we believe in him and when we, we become a child of God, our status is righteous. It's not a righteousness of our own. We couldn't produce that. But the righteousness that we have is Jesus' righteousness. We can be righteous because Jesus was righteous for us. And to explain that and our freedom that we have in Christ, Martin Luther uses the brilliant analogy of a prostitute marrying a king. He says if a prostitute marries the king, she would receive the righteous position of queen. Although she has done nothing to earn or deserve this righteous position except for trusting and accepting the king. Just as a believer trusts in Christ and receives Christ as his righteousness. So does all of that mean that we're perfect? Nope. Not yet. As Christians, will we still fail and sin? Yes. But we have been set free from the slavery to our sin. We have received the righteous position as a child of God. And as his children, we will follow and become more like our Father, and practice righteousness. And then one day, by seeing Jesus, we will be perfect as we reflect his glory. And as John continues in verse 9, he says that as his seed abides in us, and as commentators believe that's the Holy Spirit abiding in us, we cannot continue to practice sinning. As, as God's children, we've received a new status. We've been set free from sin. We're being transformed and practiced in righteousness after our Father. And one day we will be completely transformed when Jesus comes back and we will be like him. Is it no wonder that in verse 3, John says, see the love that the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. We all once were children of the devil. We were slaves to our sin. We were lawless. We stood in direct opposition to God. We were his enemy. But God so loved the world. He so loved us. He so loved you. He so loved me. 
that he sent his son into the world to save it, that for all of us who would believe in his name and receive him, that we have been given the right then to become children of God. And as his children, we can come before him in confidence today through prayer. And when he comes back, we'll be able to go before him in confidence as we are a part of his family. As children, we have a a real hope that's greater than any other. It's what we sang about, that one day we will be with Jesus in his glory and hope that when we see him, that he will make us like him and that as his children, we are being changed, that we've been set free from the slavery of sin and now we are free to follow Jesus. That is the kind of love that the Father has given to us. As his children, we are loved and because we have been loved, we can imitate Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, he puts it like this. He said, see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. What intense love is revealed to one who is favored to be called a child of God. It is love in the highest degree. What love in a person would have in his heart if he were to take a malicious enemy and say, you will be my child. Only think then, what it must be for God, the infinite, eternal spirit to say, you will be my child. I will take you, though you are an heir of wrath, and make you mine. This is love worth pondering. Calvary, would you ponder this kind of love that God has for you? Would you marvel in it? Would you hope in it? And ultimately, would seeing it lead you to abide in Jesus, and I'll say it one more time because the main point here is that because God's children have been loved, because we have been loved, we can imitate Jesus. And so what should we do with all this? Don't be deceived or distracted. What you need is Jesus, so abide in him. See the love that he has for you and let that strengthen your hope, because what you need most in a year like 20 is not your own, 2020 is not your own control. What you need most is not for the coronavirus to disappear. What you need most is not to get your job back or to be able to travel over the holidays. What you need most today, now and forever, is to know Jesus Christ. And let me promise you that when you see how God has loved you, that when you have the hope of becoming like Jesus, when you abide in him and get a glimpse of his glory and his majesty, that that will change how you see and how you live your life. This is how we fight against our sin. We look to Jesus. If you're struggling with getting angry, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're getting mad at your parents or you're lying to them, if you're failing to love your boyfriend your girlfriend, your husband, or your wife, the solution is not trying to do better. The solution is to abide in Christ. So brothers and sisters, I hope that you've been encouraged this morning. I hope that you've been able to see God's love, and I pray that that, these truths will, will make you to go and practice righteousness, that you will go and live like Jesus, and that you will go and love one another. Let's pray. Father God, it is, again, just such a privilege to be able to come and and open up your word. 
Lord, I just want to pray that everybody listening this morning, that they would abide in you, that they would know the love that you have for them, the love that you have given them, that they would be children of God. So Lord, help us to remind ourselves daily of the hope that we have in you. Help us to to remember how you've loved us. Help us to look to you always, even in a year like 2020, where there are lots of struggles, plenty of ups and downs. Lord, and just so many distractions where we don't, it's just so easy for us to lose focus. Lord, would you help us to look to you through the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.